isn't that funny? It looks like there's headlights coming towards me on a divided highway. What? There's headlights coming towards me on a divided highway. There should not be headlights coming towards mm-hmm. me on a divided highway. I am going to die in this minute. I'm like, I'm not even halfway through my life. I haven't done all the things I wanted to do. I haven't shown my kids how to live life. Like I've never, I've not, I've not been the star in my own life. Nothing, right? I've sat down, I built a business, but it wasn't like my life goal, my life streams and things mm. like that. It was just fulfilling. And I just went, wow. But there was a big, long, and I was not anything other than angry. My name is Paul Harvey, and this is Life, Passion and Business. We're about helping you explore, finding your passion for life and the work that you do. But it's so much more than that. It's about finding clues to the big life questions. What does it mean to be successful? What is the meaning of life? If you're looking for more, then join me on this journey, where together we will discover through interviews, tools and tips, how to live life full of meaning, passion and purpose. Most of us live our life as if it will go on forever. And for the majority of us, we get to experience 29,500 days, letting them pass without much thought or consideration. I get a short cast about that last year sometime. However, it is those life-changing moments that bring it all into focus and make us reevaluate where we are. Are you living to your full potential or cruising a path well-trodden? As you have just heard, my guest on the show had a life-changing brush with death. And it's no secret the car did not hit her as we would not be having this conversation. But that experience on the freeway started a chain of events It was the moment that changed the direction of her life forever. Paula Talisian wanted to be a mathematician or a computer scientist. However, it was in the late 80s and high school did not support that path for women. So she ended up going to college focusing on art, where she met her husband. And they did the house thing, the car thing and had three children. Paula was always multi-passionate, but it was maths, coding and programming that attracted her most. So she started a tech company, building her first website in 1994. It was her company that built one of the first e-commerce sites in 1997, and she went on to code software for some of the first e-book readers. Paula Tillisian could be the grandmother of some of the internet systems we know so well. Her tech company flourished, but despite all of the success, Paula was not happy. As someone with a mild form of ADHD, she was prone to overworking. By 2015, she was running a full-time business, mothering three children, and and the wonderful man she'd married was now an out-of-work alcoholic with a tendency to violence. That near-death experience was the wake-up call to really look at her life and make some changes. She decided to start an art business, And her life just about exploded. She painted 30 paintings in 30 days, exhibited at a Comic-Con and sold out, was interviewed on the radio and so much more. When we choose to grow and change, that can be very threatening for those that want us to stay the same. And that can be really hard for all involved. Our conversation is about the journey through a midlife crisis and out the other side. We talk about success, failure and the difficulty with relationships. 
Today, Paula is an author with nine books on Amazon, an artist, a speaker, and she runs a design agency with her daughter. She's a mentor for creative entrepreneurs to level up their businesses with systems and simplification. So let's join the conversation with Paula Tillisian. So look, this is life, passion and business. I'm all about the journey, the exploration that is this life that we lead. How did you get to be where you are now? Um, well, just time <laughs> <laughs> and surviving every day. Um, where am I now? Let's see. I am almost at my mid-century, so that's crazy to think about. Um, and I am not where I expected to be at all. And Where did it begin for you? Where I started out was I did your typical thing, right? Um, I, I wanted to be a mathematician or computer scientist, but in the 80s when I was going through high school, that was not... Um, supported for women so um I really even, even in the 80s you couldn't yeah. take that profession yeah. as a woman well I could take the courses but I was not supported at all so I had a science teacher who laughed me at a class I had a computer programming teacher who would talk to me the entire class so I couldn't do the work type of thing it was it was a lot of sabotage going on wow um, so I ended up going to school for art and I married a guy I met at art school um, we did the whole, you know, have a house, have uh, 2.5 kids, only the 0.5 ended up being a third kid, uh, <laughs> you know, the usual. And, um, and then it just all sort of went sideways over time. He had. So, yeah. okay. So you wanted to get into mathematics, did you get, mm -hmm. and you couldn't get into that. So that was a, a passion that you were trying to follow. Yeah. Uh, so was art your second passion for you? Yeah, it was, I mean, in my family, I have, there's a lot of artists, musicians, um, you know, creative people. So, mm. so even the women, because I, I come from an Eastern European background, so the women couldn't necessarily have careers because they were running the houses, but all the um, embroidery and things were all very artistic, very high-end. So that creativity runs in the family. So it wasn't like, I just went, oh, well, can't be what I want. Let's go do something easy. Yahoo type of thing. It was, it was more like, okay, I have a lot, multi-passionate, right? Mm. Um, a lot of people are multi-passionate and multi-skilled so um when I realized you know I couldn't do one thing um I just sort of flipped direction what profession did you end up taking I mean obviously you obviously you you, you got into work after college yeah yeah no I I ended up starting a tech company and being a programmer <laughs> Oh, so you did get into your maths after all. <laughs> I did. I did. Um, so, I mean, it goes to show that you can you can try to follow what people are telling you to do. And, and if you're stubborn enough and if you're resourceful enough, um, you know, you can do anything. So I got out of art school, looked around and went, yeah, I'm never going to get a job. Um, and I started working in the internet industry and that was just starting out. So I made my first website in 1994. Um, I started looking at, you know, what's going on with trends for the internet, the early, early, early video experiments, um, you know, early software. And uh, you're involved. So I I mean, this is, just to put into context for everybody here, because everyone would have forgotten this. Before uh -huh. the year 2000, the internet was just a little quiet corner of the world. It didn't really exist. It was kind of thing that was steam powered practically. Because I remember using the internet, going into the computer room to use the internet and pages would like click up slowly. They would load bit by bit, like, like, like I don't know, 10 pixels at a time width. And then, and then you'd get a photograph. Oh, look, it's a picture of a space station. You know, like, you know, it's like it was that slow, wasn't it? It was really, really. It was, yeah. Well, originally the internet um, existed for universities, yeah. right? It wasn't publicly available. So I had been familiar with sort of the local type university internet prior to it going public, but I went on the internet for the first time in 1992. 
And that was crazy. You know, a 14, four modem, like the slowest you could get. And you're waiting for the thing to <laughs> dial up. And if somebody sent me a picture, I'd be so mad, you know, an email because it's like, you know, pardon my French. It's taking yeah. forever. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. The yeah. big picture, and it would take ages to download the, the email, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, broadband didn't become available for the public until sort of the late 90s, early 2000s. Prior to that, it was available for corporations. So when, you know, I worked on the very first um, e-commerce website for Canada's oldest company, the Hudson's Bay Company, uh, back in 1997. That was their very first e-commerce site. And we had to be mindful of making sure it loaded fast. It didn't have, you know, too much stuff going on and uh, the, the average person could order from them. This was the day of AOL CDs, wasn't it? Your uh-huh, uh-huh. And CompuServe and all of that. Mm. Yeah, that's it. it's just absolutely crazy. So um, it was great to be involved in that. It was great to, to uh, um, be a part of the growth. And uh, I guess I'm like, super old when it comes to the internet I'm like the grandmother of the internet or something <laughs> but it was it was awesome it was it was a good career until it wasn't you know until I I burnt out and that happens right you sort of hit midlife and look around and go wow I don't like well, hang on a minute. I mean, come on <laughs> you started in the early 90s come on so so you must have progressed into this so, so I mean yeah I mean yeah were you there when it all suddenly took off were you in the industry when it went went actually amazing Absolutely. Yeah. I stayed, I was working in, in tech until 2017. Okay. So, so right. Okay. So you've yeah. been there in a few years. So you, yeah. you've seen the different iterations of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. And everything old is new again. So back in the nineties, when I was working on projects, we had to sort of design for people who had no sound cards or people who only had 32 bit color, you know, things like that. And now, and then when, when uh, mobile came out, we had to go back to who has a small screen, who has a big screen, what uh, type of apps can we use on it? Because we yeah. also made apps and stuff. And it was just, it felt like the 90s had come back. When, is this when your own company or were you working for an organization? No, this is my own company. Oh, wow. Yeah. So so there was, a, um, I worked, basically I worked business to business. So I supplied content and um, programs and, and things like that and web applications for companies. So for e-learning and not-for-profit companies. So my work is um, still around in schools and libraries around the world um, through my clients, my former clients. So, yeah. That's nice to know, isn't it, really? Mm-hmm. You, you, you were instrumental in that. Wow. Yeah. Are you, are, do you have a Wikipedia page being famous? No. <laughs> Oh gosh! No, because I flew under the radar. Oh so. dear me! Oh, I know, I know, but it, it was great to be a part of it. I wrote uh, the first ebook reader in Canada. Nobody knows that um, before anybody else had an ebook reader. I actually coded the very first one. So, and it was for a client. So, yeah. Oh, this is the trouble when you do contracting work like this. You, ne- ne- you never get famous. <laughs> well, and that wasn't even my goal. My goal was if I was going to do something that I enjoyed doing, I wanted to have a positive impact, like work with purpose. Mm-hmm. So, so knowing that there are kids out there, generations of kids, even my own kids grew up learning how to read on my products. That's enough, right? That was, that was what I had wanted. That was my end goal. I wasn't mm. just making something that maybe caused destruction or division. It caused education and literacy. Yeah, I can see that. That's that is that's very rewarding. That aspect of that, you know that know that your work is doing something. We'll mm-hmm. get we'll get to that in our in our later questions. So so moving moving us forward, clearly, I mean, this was a, a career for you. Were you yeah. Did it was it did it become a large business? 
Um, well, large in terms of money, yes. In terms of staff, no. It mm. was me and I had a handful of contractors that worked mm. regularly for me. I ran it out of my basement. Most people had no idea that I had a good-sized online company um, running in the basement in the house in a normal suburban neighborhood. Lovely. Best, yeah. way, to, best way to be. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it keeps the overhead down, right? And plus, I mean, I'm right near the fridge. So let's face it. That's, that's, okay. that's not so good, actually, being near the fridge. <laughs> so, okay. You, so you, you took this business to it, uh, obviously, to a degree, uh, but you burnt out. What happened? What was, the, what was the story of burning out for you? Oh, well, I have a story about that one. Well, I mean, are we doing this chronologically? Because you've given us the whole thing. You've given up the punchline. We know where it's all going to lead. But what's the chronology of all this? Yes. So, so I mean, you're you're, you're married. You've got children. You're doing this business. Why you've got children? I think they know stuff. Yeah, and I and one of the reasons I want to stay at home was so that I could be there for my kids. Mm. So, um, basically, I had always still kept the art interest because it's art is not something you just put down for most no. people. It's, it's a, a means of communication, connection, whatever. And um, I knew I was unhappy in my marriage. It wasn't working out. And I knew I was unhappy in my business because high stress. I mean, it was like clients would come to me with an idea for something on a Monday. And by Friday, we had a working website and application things going on. Like it was fast. Um, wow. The joy of ADHD, you can work really fast when you're hyper-focused. Yeah. <laughs> you can, can't you? I'm not yeah. Yeah. So Impressive. it was crazy. But it takes a toll, right? Yeah. So, so I started doing um, more and more art on the side, just for myself, you know, to just sort of decompress while trying to juggle my kids and uh, all the responsibilities with that. And I started going out to these paint nights. I don't know if you guys had them over there, but um, they're sort of like wine and paint nights where pe- women generally go out for two hours, paint something on terrible canvas using awful paint, drink wine, and then go home. And you don't have to have any skill or whatever. But I did that to both get away from the house and also to just decompress around other people in a creative setting. So I'd gone to one of these paint nights and um, it was March 2015, March 6th. I just remember the day. Uh, significant, and, significant yeah, by the sounds of it. It's a significant <laughs> day, right? Right. So I'm, I finished the paint night and I'm watching this woman and she, she had had a different career and she started this business and was doing really well, very successful. I don't know how she's doing now with COVID, but, um, you know, it was inspiring to see a creative person succeeding, having fun and, and making money while doing so. And I just kept thinking, if she can do it, I can do it. Right. Cause mm. that, you know, at that point I really needed some kind of outlet. I'm driving home and Canada has a highway and I'm in Ontario. So the highway is called the 401 and it's like the busiest highway in the country. Um, I'm driving home from this place to my house. It's 10 o'clock at night. So it's dark and um, there's three lanes and the highway is hundred kilometers an hour max, but you know, I was doing a hundred and something per hour and (laughs) driving in the fast lane. And so there's no shoulder on my left. There's cars on my right. And I'm thinking about, you know, like, putting back on the weight of being at home, the weight of my marriage, the weight of my obligations, the weight of what's going to happen to me the next day in business in terms of how much work I have to do, how much pressure there's on me. And I'm driving and I'm thinking, and I'm thinking about painting and I'm thinking, and I'm like, isn't that funny? It looks like there's headlights coming towards me on a divided highway, you know? And I'm like, what? There's headlights coming towards me on a divided highway. There should not be headlights coming towards me on a divided highway. Right. It took that that's half a second to just sort of realize because you get in that highway hypnosis, you're looking at cars, mm. but you don't expect somebody to coming at you. And I'm going looking around, going, um, what do I do? 
can't move off the highway because there's no space at this at the point where I was at and I couldn't move to my right because ah, there's cars there I'm going, I'm going to die I am going to die in this minute and um I'm like I'm not even halfway through my life I haven't done all the things I wanted to do I haven't shown my kids how to live life um like I've never I'm not I've not been the star in my own life nothing right I've sat down I built a business but it wasn't like my life goal my life streams and things Mm. like that it was just fulfilling and I just went wow and I forgot to ask you if I can swear but there was a big long Mm, I'm sure yeah yeah and um and and I was not anything other than angry you know this was it there was no like I, I wanted like some kind of theme song you know foreboding music or something just to foreshadow my imminent doom it's just uh, one of those things where time slows down because we talked about this for a quite a while and these headlines are still coming towards us which i'm quite impressed <laughs> yeah, still and so i'm i'm still going fast they're going fast i'm like oh my god what's going on um so so i don't remember what happened I think what happened is they moved on to, at that point, we hit a point where there was a shoulder. They moved on to the shoulder. Maybe I moved over a little bit in the lane enough. We passed not a scratch, not a single scratch. I just don't remember the act of passing because I was so sure that that was it. I was just like, wow, this is it, right? And, um, and my oldest kid at that point was 15. My youngest was um, eight. So so they were not that old. They you know It would have been a significant loss, especially- yeah you know, considering my ex. Um, so anyway, I just, as I, as I, I passed the car and then there was eight police cars coming down the other side of the highway going after this person, because clearly I didn't imagine it. <laughs> I just went every second after is golden. Yes. Every minute is golden. It's a gift. Every hour. I was given this amazing, incredible gift. If I don't do something about it, I might as well have just thrown it away, lit it on fire, throw it away, you know, slap the giver in the face or whatever. And, and I have no religious overtones or whatever. It just, that, that felt like a gift. This is your reset. This is your chance. Mm-hmm. Do something with it. So I went home and didn't do a thing, but, <laughs> but that was just a well, short version. Well, well, well you, have to go, you have to go and yeah. sit with it and process it a bit. I, I don't think the idea was to go home and do it immediately, but. Not at 10 o'clock at night. No. <laughs> No, there are implications at 10 o'clock at night. You need a bit of planning behind whatever you're going to do next. So yeah. what did happen next? I'm intrigued. Well, okay. So um, <clears> I've been trying my whole life to be a portrait artist and all that, because drawing portraits and painting portraits and all that are, it's a difficult thing, right? Mm. If you get something wrong, the person doesn't look like the person. Mm. So I had gotten to a certain point and I couldn't get past it in my art. After that night, complete difference. The level of my work just switched. I, instead of you know struggling or whatever, I was just like, boom, that's it. There it is. And I started painting these incredible portraits. They were all pop culture because I'm a nerd. So, you know, Sherlock and, and um, Supernatural and a whole bunch of different portraits. I started working on them and I was consistently, every single one I painted was like saleable and people were starting to come to me to buy them. And I thought, you know what? That was my midlife crisis right there. I didn't get a motorcycle. I didn't get a muscle car. I got a near death experience, what I call my certain death experience. Um, so by July, I told my, my then husband, I said, you know, I want to start an art business. I I'm just, I can't do the programming anymore. I'm tired. You're not working. He wasn't doing anything to support the family financially and hadn't for years. Um, I need help. I I need to do this because I'm just done. And he said, no. And I just went, "Hmm." that's the person that I'd known since I was 19, who was Mm -hmm. supposed to have my back. 
And instead of saying, you know what, I can see you're stressed out. I can see what's going on. Here I am to help you. He just said, nope, you support the family. You're responsible for our financial welfare. You can't do this. And that was the first real nail in the coffin of my marriage. Cause I just mm. was like, what the hell? So I just went, yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> Cause again, every hour, every week, every day, every month was golden. Um, so I just thought, what do I need to launch an art business? I already knew how to run a business. I was still running my tech company, still, you know, earning money. Um, and, uh, I went, okay, I need a body of work and I need a current one because my previous stuff had all been, I was yeah. holding myself back. So I spent September that year of 2015, 30 days, 30 paintings. It was a challenge that was running on the internet for free. And because I paint fast, so by that point, it was taking me six to eight hours per painting. Um, and these were, you know, just 16 by 20. I don't know what that is in centimeters, but 16 by 20 inch paintings. Um, and I just thought, you know what, I'm going to do it. So I just told my ex, I said, after dinner every night, I'm going out, I'm going to paint because we, we had a separate workshop building on the property. I'm painting every night. You're watching the kids. It's only for 30 days. You're just going to do it. And he, he lasted about a week, 10 days, maybe. And then I ended up with the kids in my space. But like I said, my youngest was eight. So it was okay. Um, and I painted 25 paintings in the 30 days. 21 were good. And afterwards I was like, okay, so what do I do with these 21 paintings that I can sell or whatever? Um, and out of the blue. So um, beginning of October, I think it was like October, whatever, beginning of October, a Comic-Con, local Comic-Con contacted me and said, we need somebody like you to be in our artist area. We've been watching you online because I've been sharing on Instagram. Wow. And I went, okay, sure. Um, I don't know how to do any of this. So how much time do I have? And they go, you have nine days to get your stuff together for a Comic-Con. And oh, by the way, Thanksgiving, Canadian Thanksgiving's in October is in the middle of this. So four of those days, you know, you can't do anything because I always hosted and everything else. So I pulled together prints, you know, finished art, a table display, all the stuff, found a friend to help me and um, showed up at that Comic-Con in, in those nine days. I was terrified. I was, I was, because I'd never shown my art beyond the internet. You know, I didn't know, um, I hadn't been in the art industry formally. I didn't know if I was good enough. In my eyes, I thought I was good enough, but I was utterly terrified. So I had this friend drove me to the Comic-Con and helped me. Another friend showed up and stayed with me for the two days that it ran or three days or whatever. I ended up selling out almost everything. It was crazy. People were nuts for it. And in that process, I ended up landing a pop-up gallery show. I ended up being on the radio. I ended up um, at a, I can't remember if it was this one or the, the following Comic-Con. I ended up getting an art representative. So Every time the universe going, yes, yes, yes. That's because I said yes to everything. Things scared me. So I was very reclusive. My, um, one of the things that, that um, happened in my marriage is my ex convinced me that I was um, barely tolerable. So I ended up isolating myself. Mm -hmm. So people only hung around with me because they felt sorry for me. That was his line. Um, I was irritating to everybody, you know, and so I ended up doing the whole, what a lot of people do when they're in that situation is you, you cut yourself off from friends and family. Mm -hmm. And so I was afraid of being in front of people because I was, you know, unbearable. Um, I was afraid of showing my work because maybe, you know, people would lie to me because maybe they said it would be good. And maybe they're just, you know, feeling sorry for me. There's a whole bunch of that stuff. So I had to overcome that as well. So I just kept saying yes. And I got addicted to that rush of seeing what could happen. And people loved me and they love my work. And I started looking around going, this whole story I've had for the 20 years I was married, is a complete fabrication. It's bullshit. Mm -hmm. 
right? And so my world expanded. I joined a mastermind for artists, got a coach. Um, and just, you know, in the five years I ran that business, I mean, I had 50,000 followers. I have art in private collections around the world. I have celebrities to have my art. Like it was really- Your husband must, have getting, must be getting worried at this point. He, he was drinking a lot. He was horrible to live with. But he must have been getting worried because he could see you changing. Yeah. He must have yeah, really, really, not... challenge, really challenged him. Yeah, it was it was really challenging for him. He was sabotaging me at mm. every level. Um, and so it was it, it just became obvious that, you know, things had to end. And um, and they did when he decided to attack one of the kids physically. <gasps> so I was there. Otherwise, he probably would have killed her. Um, but that was, you know, that was very difficult. I just ended the marriage. And I, and uh, within three months, we'd sold the house, moved our separate ways. And I got the kids, I got the animals, I got less than half my stuff, uh, but I got the stuff that matters, my computer, my art supplies, um, you know, things like that. My kids and I lived on two mattresses in a nearly empty house for months until I got myself sorted out financially. And mm. yeah, it was, it was really difficult. And um, I didn't think I could do it. You know, I lived in a house full of guns with somebody who, you know, had the potential to be very violent and I did it. He, he just didn't know how to deal with, with the sudden burst of strength. And of course, I had the emotional support from my friends around me, the ones that stayed with me. I lost also most of my friends. But uh, yeah, it was difficult, but worth it. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how, when, did you, when did you move out? How long ago was this now? 2018. Okay, so it's relatively fresh then. <laughs> this is relatively fresh. So we just passed the, 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 the anniversary of moving into this place that I'm living in right now. Um, this is really fresh. And it was it was a hard, hard haul. I couldn't keep the art business up when we got here. I did for a bit because it was our source of finances. But we were all so messed up from mm. like, I've never expected my marriage to end, even though I could see it coming, like the seeing it coming and having it happen are two different things. Yes. My kids were traumatized because they had to leave schools and, and change cities and communities. They lost friends. It was, and, and financially, I mean, I shut my tech company down. I had to um, because it was tied into the marriage. So financially we plummeted right down. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really difficult. And then that first full year, 2019, it was like hit after hit after hit. Um, my my former mother-in-law died, but because I had to drive my kids over to um, where she had lived, you know, I still had to be there and I was treated like a pariah because my ex told everybody how awful I was. Mm. Um, I just started getting a publishing company up and running because I have a, also a background in publishing and I fell and dislocated my elbow so I couldn't work. <laughs> My son nearly died because he he cut his wrist by accident when he was building an art project because my kids are all artistic and creative. And it was just, it felt like hit after hit after hit after hit. And um, yeah, it was a difficult year, but it was so worth it because the trick is to get through, right? To understand that even if you're at the bottom, even when the wheel of fortune or whatever you want to call it is, is like treating you horribly, it never lasts. We just kept focusing on, okay, we're going through this, we're building character, we're being forged, you know, we were there for each other, but it never lasts, you get back up again. And, and it, the trick is just to hang on until you, you know, turn things around. Mm. Wow, that's a, <laughs> one, one story. So where are you now? What's, 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 what's life like now for you? Because that's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a whole lot better. Um, 
you know, I, I got as much support as I could from, from, you know, the resources that were available. I mean, Canada is really good about supporting single mothers and stuff. Um, but in terms of emotionally and everything, my kids are doing great. You know, I have a kid in second year university in a, in, um, um, creative course. She's going to end up probably turning up overturn the advertising industry because she's just amazing my other two kids are in special art high school in the community I've written a lot of books uh, <laughs> out of this and um, I just started a new business so um, when I couldn't do my publishing company when I couldn't do my art I teamed up with somebody else and ran a business to teach artists how to set up and run their own art businesses and the only reason that didn't last was that partnership <clears throat> excuse me wasn't a good partnership we weren't well matched but um, in terms of helping artists, there are so many more artists out there in the world making money, having a living because um, of that work. So, yeah, it's a completely different area. But the last three years have been transitional. This year is the year that, uh, you know, stuff is happening. So. Wow, that's, a, it, that's some journey, isn't it? I mean, art is, art is a, I mean, I, I'm a marketer and I'm, I'm an ex-digital marketer, which I have to keep reminding myself because I don't want to go back into that trade. Mm. But I did advise a lot of artists like 10, 15 years ago. And one thing I did notice when I looked at the art industry, there's this strange line of art where you have, in the beginning, it's all about the piece, the work, what it looks like. And at some point down the line of between being really famous, there's a flip when the art no longer becomes relevant and it's the person who painted it becomes relevant. Yeah. So yeah. someone like Damien Hirst, who's famous in this country, could display his toilet paper and he would literally, it would sell off the right. It would sell, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, and it's just crazy, isn't it? Crazy, crazy, crazy that that sort of thing happens. I mean... But I mean, art is it's it's it has the same kind of thing about it as I don't know. It's like it makes it's how it makes us feel, isn't it? That's what's important about it. Yeah, and it's it's a connection too because it's it's the way it's like when you read a book, you're connected to that author, even if your interpretation may not be what they intended. It's the same thing with art. We connect to somebody else, and it connects us to the larger whole of humanity. So, so I love I love anything um, in the arts, visual or auditory or whatever, because we connect to people who may not ever know we exist, or maybe already dead, and yet you still have access to what they've created. So it's it's a powerful thing. Mm, yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? So okay, so getting onto our questions i mean like success how do you i mean all right well let's go back to passion so where is your passion now because obviously it was obviously in the art and it was in things you did but you, you've had a break from all that stuff you're yeah yeah I've, in, I've terms had of, in terms of how in terms of maslow's hierarchy of need you've had to sort out the base points really yeah, for sure. But I, I didn't want to just do anything, even with the base points. I mean, I could have I could have gone out and gotten a job and flip burgers or whatever um, to deal with all of that. But I, I my work has to have some kind of meaning. It has to connect, educate, inspire um, or just make a difference. Yeah. And that's that's kind of like the, the base of who I am, that when I leave a community or when I'm a part of a community, hopefully it's a better place because I've been there. You know, that's, that's the intention. Do as little harm as possible. We always do harm all the time, unintentionally or whatever, but do as little harm as possible is, is what I run by. So, so my passion, I mean, my current business right now is helping um, business owners get to the next level. So um, because I've run, you know, a very high-end business, I know how to go from 
you know, one person at a computer to uh, half a million in revenue and what it takes to get there, the mindset, the, the business systems, everything else. So that's what I'm doing is taking, taking businesses and helping them go from I'm a wee little thing to I'm a powerhouse. Um, so yeah, my passion is just making that difference. Mm. So how do you measure success these days? Because obviously success at one stage was getting a project done and mm. um, in your project management days, in your, in your software days. And I guess mm. success is a nice piece of artwork. <laughs> well, success yeah, is... You see, that, that, that's, that's quite interesting because like, you know, one is yeah. money, one is not money. I mean, like, it's like, because it's like, you know, this success question is about how we define it for ourselves. Because I think one well, of the biggest dangers of, a, of being human is that, our early success is measured by the people around us. You know, you learn to walk. Yay, you stood up and you walked. You get this adoration of parents for walking, you know. And it goes on through teachers and bits and pieces. At some point, you have to stop taking other people's adoration for your success and start t- defining it for yourself. And the trouble is many people don't. <laughs> yeah, but I actually do, having been a coach for quite a while. So so for me, the success, I mean, yay money, because I love money, um, but it's also in achieving the things that are on my bucket list. I'm still running on the golden, now it's years, but the golden time that I'm given, that gifted time. So, so I've published... Um, I don't even know how many books at this point, five or six books this year under my own name and another 20 under my pseudonyms. Um, just wow, because you're prolific. I, I'm very uh, hyper-focused ADHD. It is a gift. Uh, <laughs> um, it's basically, it's achieving the things that I want to achieve in my life. So I'm measuring my success now in honoring that need so that, you know, if I ever face another set of headlights on the highway, which that would be really cruel and weird. But if I ever did, I wouldn't be going, oh, I've wasted my life. I'll be going, you know what? I've raised kids who are happy and creative and feel good about themselves. I've impacted at this point, thousands of people, especially artists, um, who had this desire themselves and didn't know how to take it from desire to actual functional business. Um, I have done the things that my 16 year old self wanted to do out of life. You know, I wanted to be that portrait artist that, that was well-known done. I wanted to be an author that was published done. You know, I wanted to do a bunch of stuff. So I'm measuring that success in, in just honoring my dreams and my goals for my life. So when I'm 80, if I get there and look back, I'll be thinking, damn, that was a good life. Well done. Even with the mess ups, even with the things that maybe I made mistakes on um, overall, good job. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a nice thought. It's a nice, it's a nice pattern. And that, and that's it, isn't it? Really? I mean, you know, that's not, I mean, society has this big thing about failure. And failure is only any, only when reality doesn't meet pictures. That's all failure is, isn't it? Really? It's like, you know, when one side doesn't meet the other, we call it a failure. And yet it just is, you know, the universe mm-hmm. doesn't, have, doesn't have a measure for that. It's just us personally. That's yeah. Amazing. And failure is an, is an opportunity for learning, right? It's not something to look, run away from. No. Um, and I, maybe my background as a programmer has helped because it's unlike the movies. You don't sit there and code really fast in five minutes and save the, the city from a bomb. It's like you code and go, why isn't that working? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Oh, oh, damn, I missed a comma on the first sentence. <laughs> or, or my favorite, I put a zero instead of an O in, you know, type of thing, and you can't see it. Yeah. So you're just, you know, that's, so that's, programming is constant failure until it stops failing. So, so failure, 
as far as I'm concerned, whether it's in art or writing or creating or whatever, is an opportunity to figure out what works and what doesn't. It's mm. not like the be all. Like I don't have to go and curl up my toes now because I had a painting that didn't turn out. My painting didn't turn out. Oh well, I tried something new. Yay, go me. Um, that kind of thing. You know, it just it's it's an opportunity. And I think the well, more we embrace it as an opportunity. Well, I think is sad. It was like you know, yeah. you, you you had a, a twenty year relationship which didn't work at the end of twenty mm. years. No one's kind of going you tried for 20 years they're kind of going you had a failed relationship for 20 years you know it's like it's like it's like his you know his family have taken sides on the thing it's just, it's just like oh, yeah. why people take sides on these things it's just to me it's just it works what's, what's the, you know we're all yeah. damaged people on some level and it's just a question of how we come to terms with that stuff really yeah exactly and i think i think we spend too many too much time mm. dividing ourselves into groups. Yeah. I'm A or B, I'm political party, this or that, I'm for or against. And if you oppose me, then you are against me. Because I mean, nothing wrong with up. either of you as people. Yeah. You may have made some bad decisions and done some bad things to each other, but it doesn't make you any less of a person for doing so. You're just who you are. Yeah. Dealing, with it. It, dealing with it with, a, with, a, with the tools that you have. And the reality is, I guess like 40% of the of people have, have bad, you know, have, have dysfunctional relationship stuff mm -hmm. yeah anyway interesting yeah. It, it is interesting it's interesting perception too because i mean the idea that i left him instead of helping him through his addiction as though it was my responsibility for a grown-ass adult to you know hmm. fix him type of thing that was where a lot of the flack lay that that they didn't see that i had stayed i mean it's not like he just turned up and went yeah i'm an alcoholic this was building up over years this hmm. is not something that you know it was worth staying with. And so, so the generation that his parents came from, because they were born in the thirties, you know, it's entirely different. The woman's responsible, hold the household together, support the man, cure him of his things. Um, and it, it's, it's a lot of unfair pressure. You know, what about my life, my dreams, my kids living in a house where they feel This safe? is the cultural problems of this. And, and, you know, you're, you're talking it from, from that perspective. I see it in, in a number of Facebook groups that I'm in, particularly us Facebook groups with men. Some of the conversations, some of those guys, you, they, they, they are playing the story, you know, like they're so playing the story. Oh, she mm -hmm. wants to get a job. And like, guys, line up, you know. Yeah. But hey, it's, it's just the story they've been told and they're playing it out. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, I, this, is a, this is another one of those rabbit holes that we could both go down. I'm sure we'd have a nice time, but let's stay out of it for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, contribution. How do you see your world and your life as contribution? It's, it's. Um, I guess this comes right back down to the success thing. It's contributing. It's being a part of a community, allowing yeah. people to learn from my story, but also my experience, yeah. um, you know, because I am approaching that 5-0 <laughs> in a few months. Um, I have a lot of experience to share and impart and, and um, empower the next group of entrepreneurs and the next group of people, the next group of dreamers. Got a book in you? Go out and write it. There's nothing, nothing in your way. Got an idea for a business? Go out and do it. Find some support and go out and do it. You know, the only thing standing in our way now is, is um, our mindset. And so um, the way I contribute is showing up and walking the walk. How do you contribute to yourself? Well, another thing is you've contributed hugely, by the way, with your reading materials and your, and your early internet stuff. I can see your contribution is huge. So just, just to acknowledge that for you because mm -hmm. you didn't acknowledge it for yourself <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> this is true <laughs> 
Um, yeah, uh, yeah. P- p- so many people don't acknowledge their past. It's just beyond me sometimes. Like, okay, so please take that one. Uh, how do you contribute to yourself? This is self-care. Uh, this, this is actually making myself matter in my story. And it's a constant thing because, I mean, I did that giant leap out of my marriage and then immediately started eating myself alive. I was Mm. to blame. I did this. You know, the usual things that happen when you sort of try to post analyze stuff. Um, So it's the constant resetting, making myself matter, making sure that, you know, when I when I'm um, doing things for my kids, I include myself. You know, for the longest time, I never bought myself Easter chocolate. I was just like, oh, it's for the kids. Well, no. What am I teaching them? That when you're a parent, you don't matter? I like chocolate. Hello. <laughs> so so it's the daily thing. When I go out to buy them school clothing, I go out and get myself something too. That constant, you know, if I don't like something, it doesn't show up in the house. Um, so that's, it's the little things. It's the constant little things that um, that I'm doing that I'm always checking myself on because, Otherwise, it's very easy to slip right down. And I had I had done so um, over the past few months, I had slipped right down and not mattered again. And I thought, time to reset, time to reset. So, yeah. Yeah, it's worth reminding ourselves that 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 we are important. And that's why I was on. I mean, this contribution question never used to never used to have self-care into it. But it, but it came up because I realized that it was so important to me um, in terms of that I have a daily routine that I must stick to. Mm hmm. Um, I yeah. noticed this morning that I hadn't written in my journal for seven days. And, well, why haven't I written in this for seven days? What, 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 what caused that gap? And it's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it slips away. And, you know, one of the biggest things that um, I've done now that I'm not married anymore is actually honor my history because I'm a first generation <laughs> Canadian. So with my Eastern European background, it had slipped away because my ex didn't really like it. So my kids are being reintroduced to my culture, um, our foods, our, our your names. Tell us, tell, tell our podcast your name because your name is fantastic. And because it, it's an East European village. Go and tell us a story. OK, so so this is a story I was given um, by my dad that his great grandfather and I may have the greats wrong, but somewhere at some point in the last 150 years, um, his great or great great grandfather basically was involved in some way in some uprising in Russia. So I don't know the dates for that. Russian history is not my thing, but my background is is Russian and uh, Ukrainian. And he wandered into a village or escaped into a village or whatever and refused to give his name. So the villagers named him after the village. And uh, you can't get it if you Google it in English, but if you Google it in Cyrillic, you can get the name of the village. It's got 780 people. It spawned a few poets and whatever, but my last name Talesian is named after the village. Um, so beyond that history, I don't know much about the family other than, you know, the stories here and there. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. It's interesting to, to have that little. It's lovely to have these stories in the background, isn't it? And so uh, what is the one question you like people to ask of themselves or of you? Um, I think it's, it's the same question for both. Are you okay? Right? Want to say more about that? Check in with yourself because sometimes life gets busy. You know, I'm, I'm juggling the, the needs of three older kids, but they still have needs. Um, and, you know, running a business and trying to stay on my feet financially and also honor my creative self and everything else. 
And it's important to stop and check in and say, am I okay? Am I doing okay? What do I need? Am I too stressed out? Because life is, especially now that for the first time since February, our kids are back to school here in Canada. So <laughs> it's like, suddenly I'm getting up at 6.30 in the morning. I am not okay at 6.30 in the morning. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> but uh, but there was, there, was some, there was some benefits to lockdown, weren't there? <laughs> oh my goodness. We got locked down. <clears throat> excuse me, right when the snow started getting deep, we had eight foot drifts and stuff here last winter. And so when they announced lockdown, I was just like, oh, I'm so sad. I don't have to shovel my car out, <laughs> you, know, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, and that's a privilege because we have, we have not been directly impacted by COVID. Um, and I recognize that, but it's the, the checking in on yourself. Are you okay? Because we also lie to ourselves. If you yeah. find yourself, you know, doing things that that are designed to help you deal with stress, uh, whether it's binge watching television, which is a huge sign of depression, um, or overeating or undereating or whatever, you're not okay. Really important to ask that of yourself. But I'd like people to ask that of me too, because I also come across as super strong. I had a friend um, I had talked to, and he's known me for years and years. And um, one day I just said, you know what? I'm not doing good. I'm really struggling here. It's been really hard. I'm really tired. In fact, this was, oh, June. Uh, and, and I don't know if I can do this anymore. And not suicidal, but just like, I need to lie down and let somebody take over my life for six months. And he was just like, how are you not okay? You just keep going. You are relentless. You are cheerful. You are productive. You are whatever. And I would like people to come and say, are you okay, Paula? Because sometimes I'm not. Right now, yay, coffee. <laughs> but there's a lot going on. <laughs> there's a lot going on. And I would like somebody to care enough to ask me that question. Are you okay? Because a lot of people don't. It's a good question to ask, actually, of, of, and it's a good thing to remember to check in with others, actually. That's one thing that those people, those people do forget. Mm-hmm. It, it's easy to see people who, are, who look like they know what they're doing. In actual fact, because they are steaming ahead, but it does actually help sometimes to say, you're right, you're quite right. Yeah. Yeah. In this modern, really strangely connected world that we're in, because we're not always connected properly with people these days, it is quite weird in that respect, I agree with you. So um, who do you help and how do people get in touch with you? And if they do, what will you do for them? Well, I help um, creative entrepreneurs. So coaches, and by creative, I don't mean visual artists, but um, coaches, people who are making a difference, whose businesses are maybe overwhelming or disorganized, um, or they're ready to level up and don't know how, because they're so busy that the business is actually running them. They're not running the business. I help them simplify down and um, level up. So they earn more and work less. Um, So they can get a hold of me through my website, 0percentluck.com, which is all spelled out. There's no fancy anything in there. It's straightforward. Um, They can reach out to me there and we can set up a call and it's just one-to-one coaching. So at some point I'll have courses and stuff up there. Right now it's custom designed for a person's business and it doesn't take me long because high functioning and very focused. Um, (laughs) I go in, I listen to what's, what's going on and then I give um, doable solutions. So I've been helping a variety of businesses um, since I opened my doors in July and um, helping them just simplify and make life easier. So 
Yeah. Sounds fantastic. So all those links will be available at the website, lifepassionandbusiness.com and also available on the app. Um, yeah. Oh, yes, you've got some books, haven't you? Do you where will the people find your, your books? Well, my books are on paulatalesian.com. Okay. So uh, hopefully the name will be spelt out, but all my books live there and you can buy them through Amazon or you can buy them directly. The PDFs are available directly downloaded from my my site. I have deranged poetry that uh, may make you question your sanity, except that every book has something nice in it. So the the book that's all about, um, you know, being alive and death and dying and whatever also has a nice poem about a sheep. So <laughs> there's a little bit of... <laughs> A little bit of it, it sounds like they're a window to you. I think they might be quite worth a read. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll exactly. link to those books as well. So no problem there. Awesome. So look, Paula, this has been a lovely conversation. I get to this question now, which everyone, you know, well, the point is, ninety percent of people never even consider this question. What's the meaning of life for you then? The meaning of life for me is love. It's connection. It's it's being a part of that larger whole that that, you know, a lot of times we go through our lives feeling very much alone and we actually aren't. We are all part of this larger, greater whole. And um, the way I try to run my life now, because obviously it wasn't that back when I was in, in my marriage, is just love love people that you connect with love them as they are it's so easy to hate why can't we love so you know when i when i have friends what they see is what they get i love them deeply my kids i love them deeply my cats only when they're not you know making a mess i love them (laughs) but it's it's that love that that connection that being a part of a greater thing it's i spent a lot of my early years worrying about my legacy and leaving something behind and not being forgotten. And now I just don't care because as long as the impact and the interaction with me has been a loved one um, and however you want to define it, that's it. That's my meaning of life. This conversation has been the meaning of life for me. That's fantastic. Oh, Paula, thank you so much. It's been such a lovely conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. And that was Life, Passion and Business with Paul Harvey and my guest, Paula Talesian. If you'd like to connect with Paula, you can find her on Twitter, LinkedIn. You can find her website at zinvinitydesign.com and 0percentluck.com. As you will have heard, you can find her books at paulatalesian.com or you can find them on Amazon. All of those links will be at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com, so do check them out. And while you're there, do check out the five questions under the resources tab. It's a workbook based on the five questions of the podcast, and in my opinion, it is the base point for creating the life you want to live. So do check that one out. And that's it from me for this week. So thank you so much for being on this journey with me. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please give us five stars on the app of your choosing and share it with a friend if you can. So that is it from me. As always, thank you so much for your time and attention. I'll catch you next time. All the best.